Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. This is one of your co-hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, as always, each week by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? Good afternoon, Erica. I'm doing great. We're going all the way to the Pacific today. We are. We are. I don't, we've had guests from other countries, um, of course, but I don't think we've had anyone from Hawaii. So aloha. Uh, we have Dave McDonald with us today. Aloha, Erica and, uh, and Eric and, and the entire Force Point team that's on. Um, indeed, out in the middle of the Pacific. Um, it's morning time here. I guess it's uh, mid-afternoon your time, but uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be online with uh, Force Point. And uh, my day is just getting started. And like so many people around the world, my day is starting in my home office, right? So uh, uh, even though I'm a, a CIO and, uh, and uh, my boss, uh, continues to think I'm somewhat essential. I'm working from home. I'm doing the telework thing like, like so many other folks. Uh, are COVID, doing right now. COVID-19, Dave, I, I don't know. I think I'd want to be stuck on an island like Honolulu. <laughs> yeah, I'll trade you well, locations. <laughs> well, Dave, speaking of, let's just talk a little bit about your background first and, and let our listeners know. Um, again, you know, you said you're CIO, but just your term, your background, as far as the work you're doing for the um, Department of Navy. And then we, let's talk about what it's like to be in your kind of role at a time like this. Yeah, so so just, a, I guess, as a, a bit of a level setter, a primer for what we do. Um, so, so I'm the I'm the chief information officer, uh, plans programs director, uh, Department of the Navy civilian. So I'm I'm a government official, and I, I should say right at the outset here, um, uh, not not here to speak officially for the Navy on behalf of the Navy, right? So this is kind of a kind of a sideline sort of discussion. I'm happy to share some perspectives and so forth, but I'm not uh, not officially uh, speaking on behalf of the Navy uh, in this uh, in this forum that we have. I am out in the Pacific. Force Point we, loves Force Point loves that I'm not speaking on behalf of Force Point too half the time. Right, okay. right. <laughs> so so we can we can speak freely, but if if on some topics if I come across as a little bit guarded or or mindful of uh, things like OPSEC and so forth, I work for the world's greatest navy, and we have we have uh, significant missions around the world that obviously have to be protected, and I, I will do that uh, as best I can. Uh, but Erica, yeah, I'm, I'm the, so I'm the CIO and. Um, uh, I work for an organization out here called the Navy Computer and Telecommunications Area Master Station Pacific, right? So it's a mouthful. It's a great name. Oh, Nick Tam's PAC. <laughs> yeah, Nick Tam's PAC. That's us. Uh, it's an acronym only a, na- a career Navy guy could love, right? Um, so we, uh, the, the short version of our mission is we do, um, you know, hemisphere-wide across the entire Pacific, pretty much from the, the Mississippi all the way out to the, the uh, approaches into the Arabian Gulf. Uh, out into the Indian Ocean. We do telecommunications, IT, critical communication services uh, across Navy, Joint Coalition, uh, war fighters that span, you know, 60, 70% of the Earth's surface. Uh, so I'm the CIO for, for, for that enterprise. And, um, you know, we, uh, we sort of have to look both in the today as well as out into the future about our capabilities uh, supporting the war fighter. So, Dave, we're recording this. This is, um, you know, mid-April or 
almost mid-April. And uh, we, you know, we're in the midst of this uh, pandemic, as Eric just said. So as far as, you know, what has changed um, for you in the past, gosh, you know, three, four weeks? I mean, as you said, you, like everyone else, uh, you're working from home, but I would imagine it's, it's a bit more challenging. You probably have some things that are keeping you up at night. Tell us a little bit more about, about that, of what, you, of what you can share, of course. Well, sure, and I think um, I'll start. I'll start kind of generally with the, with the notion that I think I think any uh, any CIO and certainly almost any any C level executive uh, in in almost any kind of organization is realizing through this crisis. First, you know, nothing nothing really fully focuses the mind like a totally unexpected and severe and complex crisis of this kind of nature. You know. I'll use the phrase uh, "failure of imagination," but it's 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 maybe not quite right to call it a failure. I mean, who who in their right mind could have imagined in any enterprise, whether it's a DoD or or you know banking or IT or any industry, you know, logistics, supply chain, who would have imagined sending 80, 90, nearly a hundred percent of their workforce home? Right. Right. Well, in fact, few did. Right. I mean, few yeah. did, and those who did were were. I don't want to say they were laughed at, but but they weren't. Nobody did anything. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. So so, so not not really a failure of imagination or a failure to plan, but it's just one of those. Uh, it really focuses the mind that 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 you could have as severe, complex, and fast a crisis as what we're experiencing. Uh, in my own experience, um, what I'm there's there's some I guess I'll call it some goodness or some real focus that comes out of that, and that is it really compels you quickly to figure out what's your prime directive or what what's your set of prime directives. What are the critical things that you must sustain uh, and that you really have to have to drill in on and understand, right? So you know we talk broadly about essential personnel, mission critical personnel, but it really goes bigger than that. Is uh, out here as you know the world's greatest navy in a in a very much uh, contested hemisphere of operations what has to be sustained and um, we're in a business that has to be sustained right the the fleet doesn't steam without critical command and control joint warfighters don't plan and execute without critical command and control our systems have to work our communications have to flow our services have to operate. Our teams have to be responsive. So, so that part has honestly not been all that complicated. We've really had to drill into the prime directive, which is protect critical command and control, protect the 24-7 watches, you know, the operations that assure those things, uh, protect some ability to maneuver, respond, be resilient. I, I, think, I think what CIOs all over the world are discovering among other things, is that they're really the chief resilience officer in, in many ways. Very good point. Right. So, and, and I'm, I'm kind of finding that is, uh, you know, we didn't, have, we didn't otherwise have a resilience officer or even an emergency action officer. A lot of folks have an emergency action plan. I don't think many emergency action plans or continuity of operations plans accommodated this kind of crisis. But it's really the leadership, the people, and, and the immediate imagination of what are those things I have to protect and get at right now. So a uh, chief resilience officer is sort of, you know, sort of what a crisis CIO becomes in times like this. So, Dave, one of the things we talked about was people are the most important asset, whether it's the Navy or any business. Um, your workforce transitioned from normal to not so normal pretty much in the span of, what, a week or two? 
Yeah, it was internal uh, internal to a week, and um, and and there's some interesting nuances with respect to, you know, the how and how many and and uh, the dynamics of uh, you know top down directed uh, tools and technologies versus internally selected, right? So uh, I'll say we had some I'll call it minor false starts and 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 restarts as we went through that week to week and a half long process of transitioning everybody you know, to this uh, virtual operating model. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as we look at our business, you know, the commercial companies, including Forcepoint internally, had a relatively smooth transition because a lot of us were accustomed to working from home. My defense customers, my government customers globally really stumbled in some ways because the culture, the workforce was so attuned to working from an office space. Mm-hmm right? Together. Um, things like communications, the command and control, which you mentioned, capacity challenges, um, expertise, things like that were, were, have, have been challenging. What are your thoughts? What's your, what's your guidance? I mean, what, what are you observing? Yeah, so so I, I guess I, I would frame my, my thoughts or my response on that in the kind of the immediate here and now, you know, you do what you have to do, you do what you can do. But then there's then there's sort of a thought process I think for for CIOs and for other senior leaders that gets into this question of failure of imagination and did you did you plan out or or did you what if or war game you know to to use a model that we we care about deeply in our community you know here's what here's what I find interesting let me let me start with the kind of longer term kind of governance culture and planning uh, dimension of this. You know, it's pretty well known and, and been you know mentioned in the open press that the DOD does we do somewhat robust wargaming on pandemic global pandemic, mm-hmm. right? So so the question is, all right, we wargamed it, we we did all the what ifs, we played the worst case scenarios, but then what did we do? Did we did it fully inform culture? Did it fully inform governance? Did it fully inform architecture and design? technology and tools selection, uh, training and acculturation of different working models, right? And this is, I guess I'll call it a little, you know, kind of a sweet spot for me or a pet pet peeve, if you will. Quite often we, we do war game and play out these scenarios in very low risk, you know, sort of protected sort, sorts of uh, environments, but then we don't take the lessons, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's a real takeaway here for CIOs, for acquisition officials and senior leaders that you know if 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 you don't if you don't acculturate for some of these worst cases if you don't design governance for these worst worst cases uh, if you don't make architecture and investment decisions um, and tools deployment and training and sustainment decisions based on some of those worst cases well you know don't be surprised when you find yourself not ready right so then you, then you, you yeah do you think things will change? Do you think we'll learn from this? That was going to be my question. I, sorry, there's so Erica, many lessons sorry. learned. <laughs> well, there's just becoming so many too, lessons. Co- too close. <laughs> there's so many lessons learned, I, I think. And I just, I mean, I, I've, I've heard the statement that you've just made, Dave, a couple of times. And I just wonder, you know, when all of this is said and done and it's, you know, I don't know, a decade, two ge- decades from now, <laughs> how will it be different when, if this happens or something of this magnitude happens again? 
Well, Dave and I'll be retired. So it'll be somebody else's problem. <laughs> Erica, you'll, you'll still be working the away. The next generation will figure this all out. Right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, as uh, one of my favorite phrases, you know, uh, well, two two phrases. One, hope hope springs eternal. And the other one is, you know, it's it's never too late to turn the whole thing around. Um, my, you know, so so I'm a, I'm a real avid follower of what our national leadership in the DOD is doing. I think we're blessed right now to have a, a gentleman named Dana Deasy as our DOD CIO, right? I mean, he he um, he's a guy who's uh, who you know grew up sort of navigating from one crisis to another as an executive CIO, and uh, lucky are we that we have him now. And I think. I think he's driving a process in the in the immediacy of this crisis. He's he's driving daily epiphanies about kind of I'll put it this way, you know, what we should have planned for, how we should have been designed, what we should have been able to do as a as a matter of kind of routine non-crisis governance and acquisition and deployment of capabilities and acculturation of a certain working model. You know, so Mr. Deasy is driving that now across the DOD. There have been some press reports this week about you know exactly what he's doing. So I won't go into that too much. But uh, um, you know, it's good to get uh, fresh leadership to come in from the outside and say, "Hey, you, you know, you 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 guys, all of all of you you DOD officials who have been doing things a certain way for for so long, need to kind of rethink." You know what your model is, and so I, I, to your question, Erica and, and Eric, I, I think there will be very precise epiphanies and lessons learned and uh, follow-ups that that come from this. You know, some have used the phrase "never, never let a good crisis go to waste." Um, you know, the community was admiring acquisition reform and uh, fast, you know, fast acquisition and OTAs and innovation for really the last many years kind of admiring different ways we could do that. And, you know, there were uh, acquisition reform panels that did the same, but no sense of urgency, right? No, nothing was creating a compelling sense of urgency to do that. I, I think we now kind of have that uh, mm -hmm. to, to you know, understate the case. Yeah. I'll compare and contrast again. We, for all the commercial companies I've worked for, we've never really had a coup plan or a disaster recovery plan. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, once again, OPSEC, I don't want to go into too much detail around force point, but, but we, we certainly never drilled for anything like this. We did, we don't, you don't run scenarios in the commercial world like you do in the military. Um, but I think one of the differences is you operate a little differently and we're relatively accustomed to working from home. So we, we've had to make some adjustments, but unlike a lot of my customers, it was relatively smooth and, and we're very fortunate. We didn't run into any issues. Like we ran into very few issues, I should say. We needed some developers who needed laptops. We needed to figure out how to access source code from home, little things like that. But, but the business pretty much continued on, even though 3,000 people went away. Right, right. They went home and stayed home. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, uh, you, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't um, I wouldn't sort of uh, kind of go to the mat to completely defend uh, the DOD's uh, really, really risk-averse culture with regard to this, because I think it's a nuanced, mixed sort of subject, right? But let, let me start this way. There, there are and there have been very good reasons why the DOD tends to come down on the side of uh, you know, a deliberate acquisition processes, 
perhaps more risk averse, uh, both runtime and, 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 and design time governance processes, technology selection, um, access management, uh, how we govern our facilities in terms of physical security um, and, and uh, system security. So there's, I mean, there's good reasons for that, right? I mean, we're in the national security defense and war fighting business and the intelligence business uh, tangentially. And I, and I think, um, you know, so without entirely defending kind of a, a generally kind of moribund or, or flat-footed acquisition culture and, and collaboration culture, uh, there are underpinning reasons for the sort of conservative uh, and protective nature of what we do. The, the, the question is, you know, going forward, and I'll go back to the wargaming idea, and this is, a, again, a frustration for me that, that we actually do have pretty robust mechanisms to do really thorough what-if and what-now kinds of assessments, right? Worst case, really dire grim, tough, sustained, you know, uh, you know, what if and what now type scenarios. And, and you know, global pandemic is not, is not the least of them. We're talking, you know, escalation to full out, you know, war, two theater war, um, you know, you know, rogue state actors uh, uh, committing both cyber and kinetic uh, attacks, you know, to undermine and, and, and level the battlefield and so forth. You know, so there's all kinds of scenarios where we do very severe uh, what if and what now scenario playing. Um, our, our, our culture needs to catch up with, with how, do we, how do we benefit from the lessons learned from that? And I think this is, this is really focusing some minds on that question. Well, and I was just going to ask you just just that question, though. So, you know, what what now? <laughs> like, where do we go from from here? I mean, I, I think it's you know, lots of industries obviously are are thinking about this, but from a um, from a government perspective, you know, again, as someone who is a you know a, a CIO and just this uncertain time, what what it like? Where do we go? What happens next from your perspective? Yeah, so so um, uh, all the prognosticators are out there trying to trying to predict, you know, flattened curves and getting to the other side of the curve and so forth. But you know, let, let's postulate, you know, when when things start getting back to more normal and the dust settles on COVID nineteen, and everybody can kind of take stock and get back to sort of a routine. I, I think, um, you, you know, I. I I wouldn't go way out on a limb and say, you know, the DOD is just going to turn on a dime and, and be just a fundamentally different thing from the standpoint of uh, operating culture, uh, risk averse culture, uh, acquisition culture, and so forth. We're going we're gonna to ponder this and take stock. Um, now, the, the good news is even before, you know, with respect to things that CIOs care about, uh, distributed work, collaboration, uh, networking, connectivity, um, you know, more, more specific topics like either bring your own device or, or choose your own device and, and sort of uh, thinking more broadly about your endpoint, you know, kind of your endpoint community, both from a people and, and technology perspective. Um, the good news is before, you know, before COVID-19, um, the DOD was already thinking through a lot of those things. We, we were just doing it at the normal, you know, slow pace of normal defense. Pace, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I think, uh, my, the hopeful side of me says uh, now, you know, uh, you know, large programmer record initiatives like JEDI and DOS ECAPS and, you know, some of the things you can read about every week in the press of, of vectors that the DOD was already on 
um, will be accelerated by necessity, right? Um, and 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 I and I think some some details on the edges of of transition to cloud, transition to you know sort of choose your own device, transition to uh, you know sort of a governed zero trust architecture that extends out to you know choose your own device, transition to full featured multimedia collaboration groupware type solutions. Um, you know we'll we'll get on with that and 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 we'll get on with it more quickly. I, I don't want any of this to sound like an I told you so. You know, some of us have been sort of feeding the pots and pans for 10 years on this with respect to, you know, slow acquisition. Um, but, you know, maybe it takes COVID-19 to get us get us all off the dime and, and move out more more, uh, more quickly. So, Dave, how does cloud help? How does cloud help you? So, so it depends, right, Eric? I, th- I think um, you know not all clouds are created equal, right? There's there's right. Uh, you know, broad-based infrastructure as a service. There's there's uh, you know applications as a service. Uh, there's in- in- potentially integrated security or zero trust as a service, right? There's a lot of ways to think about design and adopt and 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 um, integrate into cloud. So so I'm not trying to make the answer more complex than it should be, but you know, as a as an operating CIO in a, in a part of the world where for many many years we've we've kind of owned our own on-prem uh, infrastructure, yeah. yeah, infrastructure for critical business operations, logistics and supply chain contracting, a lot of a lot of the supporting functions it takes to run our enterprise in the Pacific. Um, I, I so so I will not say I'm entirely agnostic on the matter of migrating to a different cloud model. Um, I, I would sort of say, you know, a rigorous CIO needs to business case the thing kind of from a, from a um, CapEx, OpEx, total cost of ownership, um, agility and governance, you know, sort of change management um, uh, and runtime governance, right? There's a trade space there that I think is, is going to be interesting and different depending on what cloud model you propose. Um, I, I generally buy into the, I'll call it the industry and academic literature that says mid and long term, there is a clear beneficial return on investment by consolidating um, sort, sort of outsourcing or offsourcing um, a, a cloud infrastructure but it all depends on also being able to have a degree of runtime governance and <clears throat> management and, and configuration control and security control and, and security visibility that makes sense to us as, as a DOD or maybe operating enterprise. So Eric, I don't know if that answer really makes sense. It's probably more complex than, than a lot of people understand, but you know, it's, 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 it's why CIOs and their staffs have to really pay attention and, and put the rigor in, into assessing those options as, as they're put forward. I, I generally fear these kind of one-size-fits-all top-down mandates of you know, every load, every use case, every, every application stack, every, every data repository is going to go to one cloud under one governance model, right? And, and, yeah, just and, go to the cloud. Your, prob- your problems are gone. Yeah, that that's right. I don't buy it. Um, I've my, and it's not just theoretical for me. It's um, over years and years of experience of seeing a contrast between, you know, large, you know, kind of centrally controlled, top level, top down sort of cloud implementations versus 
local stacks. And we've done business case analyses on those things. And, you know, every now and then the local stack wins, right, based on a whole range of important criteria for us. Um, so, but I remain open-minded about, about, you know, looking at cloud migration. So Dave, before we wrap, I just have a, <laughs> it's a, it's sort of a technology question, but not really, but, you know, I think it's interesting. We've talked a lot about just the different adjustments that um, obviously you've had to make as a CIO working from home, but personally, how are you adjusting to working from home? On that rough yeah. and tumble yeah, island with the water, yeah. what, 100 meters from the house? Are, are you I missing your this commute? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't miss the commute because it was a hefty one, and uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, believe it or not on this small island, I, I still managed to put more than twenty thousand miles a year on on my new car that wow. I got last year. So, so yeah, I don't miss that uh, at all. But uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think I think military folks are kind of trained, uh, you know, and grow up in a culture where it's like, um, what what's the word? Embrace the suck, yeah. right? <laughs> You know, so um, I've heard and, that before. And, uh, yeah, and there's another phrase: first world problems and so forth. In in the grand scheme of things, um, uh, you know, blessed to be in Hawaii. I think I think Hawaii will manage to sort of flatten the curve. My heart goes out to the folks who are up on the East Coast. That's where I'm from, is New mm-hmm. York, and I've still have a lot of relatives up there in New York, Jersey, Connecticut, and so forth. It's just kind of astonishing, breathtaking what's happening up there. So so tragic. So so uh, I don't in any way want to make light of that um so it's a lucky time to be in a place like hawaii where i think uh, based on what the governor and the city county are doing they're they're going to manage this thing um so so i think everybody has to reach inside themselves for that resilience at a time like this as well um you know all of us on this conference we're still working um eric as you know we've talked about this i have friends in the gig economy musicians, um, you, you know, uh, folks who, who work in restaurants and bars, um, you know, folks it's tough. Who, uh, who are consultants. It's really, really tough. So um, I, I know our intent here is not to in any way get political, but we do have to get over this thing quickly and get America, get, get our economy uh, working again. Um, you know, there's uh, every time you get out of bed and go out, go out of the house, there's risk, yeah. right? And, and you know, if you look at the CDC and sort of their mortality statistics and so forth, you know, there's, there's, there's any number of ways any of us can uh, meet our maker, you know, on any given day. So I think, but but there are larger principles about, you know, free Western society and, and, and free market economies and individual rights. You know, I think, I think, um, I think about that a lot in this context of we're, we're going to have to find a way to carry on and be the you know, be the America that, that the America has been for the world uh, for so long. Um, Erica, you know, personally, hey, so far, first world problem, right? Knock on wood. Um, and, and we've, uh, because of our operating culture in Nick Tam's pack and my, my boss and the way he is and the culture he's created for our organization and really across the hemisphere, um, Man, everybody's just picking up and going, right? Uh, working from, you know, 90% of the day staff is on telework. We are protecting our watches like crazy. Uh, the prime directives are understood. The um, leadership, which is now taking more of a virtual dynamic, is as strong as ever. Um, nobody's in the dark. Nobody's guessing. Everybody's pulling together as a team. 
and uh, and and we're going to meet mission. We're going to get through and we're going to succeed, right? And we'll get to the other side of this thing as a better, stronger team, and hopefully proud of everybody's behaviors uh, along the the journey. And Eric, I hope you know your team and all your partners are probably doing the same. You've said you've made a, a very um, ready transition to this, and everybody's really stepping up. Yeah, every, everybody's working. Everybody's getting creative. I think the biggest challenge is you know back to back to back calls, <laughs> right? Making sure you're doing the right behaviors. The world has changed. Making sure we're working in the right areas and not burning out, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our people. You, you've talked about it a bunch. I mean, the people are the most important. Absolutely. That is the critical piece. I'd still like to be near the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, I, I didn't want to go there with our, our public officials. They've, uh, they've, they've, they've managed to put some controls on things like beach parks and golf courses and so forth that that I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 not you know cheering from the high, highest mountain on that stuff, but we'll we'll get over that. You know the other thing about the people aspect is uh, I I, uh, I listened to a very inspiring uh, uh, sort of video cast from uh, General uh, McChrystal and and his group. Right? He's got a consulting group that's uh, pretty public out there on LinkedIn and so forth. And a couple of key points takeaways from that. Right, it's a marathon, not a sprint. To your point, Eric, about you know being really mindful of not burning people out and, and turning people upside down. Um, uh, ideas like uh, you know just because you're home all the time doesn't mean you're working all the time, right? So all those same work-life balance kind of whole person, you know, quality of life things that I think leaders need to um, you know set the example for. They need to enable. They need to mentor and talk to their teams about that. That all applies doubly in a, in a situation like this where there's other stressors that, that are really clobbering people and their ability to do PT, right, to, to work out and stay healthy and get out and be emotionally and socially healthy uh, is, is much limited, right? So I, I think leaders have, you know, really have a, a double duty right now to set an example on, on balance and perspective and humor and, you know, uh, health and, and all that stuff. So. I'm inspired by General McChrystal and, and some of the things that he and his team have said to all of us in the last week or two about this. It's it's good uh, good stuff to listen to. No, fully fully agree. Fully agree. Well, thank you, Dave. This was fantastic. I think you've definitely given um, our listeners a lot to um, you know think about, both from a um, a. Uh, a system CIO perspective, but also just from a life work leadership perspective. So appreciate that. Yeah. Happy to have the talk. It's uh, it, it went, went a lot of interesting, unexpected uh, directions. Uh, you we always do. A lot of, a lot of fun. So you'll have me, you'll have my gears turning for the rest of the day. Thanks team. We'll, we'll have to definitely have you back on if you have any extra time on your hands. <laughs> Right. Well, there's, there's a whole bunch of world hunger we can we can yeah, still solve. Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. Join the interaction. Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone that listened this week. We hope that you were all keeping safe and being healthy. And please continue to listen in every week onto the Point Cybersecurity. Please uh, follow us on uh, iTunes or subscribe to us, I should say, on iTunes, and let us know what you want to hear about. Especially right now, while many of you are uh, working from home, if you have any good topic suggestions, we would love to hear them. Until next week. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. 
And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store. 